in your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Acts 17, verse 18. I know on the uh, for the vacation Bible school that the Lord so blessed, and that Sunday when we closed it out, I preached from this passage, and it was it was one of the major themes of the of the vacation Bible school. But verse 17, 18, it says, "Then certain philosophers, the Epicureans, this is Paul in Athens, and of the Stoics, encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some." He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. This was the message of the early church. And if a message is going to be effective, this has to be the message. He preached. It doesn't mean all these Stoics and philosophers and mockers came to know Christ. Some did. We read at the end of the chapter. But like I told those boys today, everybody's not going to believe Jesus. Everybody's not going to heaven. But if you're going to heaven, you're going to come through Jesus. You're going to come through the blood of Jesus. You're not going to hear that, I told the boys, when you get to college. You're not going to hear that uh, in most schools. You're not going to hear that anywhere, I said, but from this word right here. This is where you're going to hear it. In our day and age especially, we're going to hear it. Paul preached unto them Christ and the resurrection. Preaching Christ would be his whole life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his miracles, who he was, his blood that was shed, the, the atonement that he paid on the cross, the need for him to come. That's preaching Christ. Uh, there's a, uh, and I'm, I believe the Lord's going to give me a, a word on, for our church on the, the progressive church. You might have heard of it. It used to be the emergent church. Well, the emergent church is sort of morphed into the progressive church. Everybody wants to be progressive, right? We're forward thinkers and all these cute little terms that mean zero. Uh, but there's a progressive movement in the church and, and the, the thought is that, that there was no need for Jesus to ever come and do that. We've just misunderstood. We, God, had, man has evolved and, and our understanding of the Lord is basically evolving. And this is just an antiquated book of what some people thought about God in times past based on their understanding. That's a lie. That's a lie straight from devil. That's, that's not a lie from men. That's a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devils. Okay? Because, look, if this thing's not true, then let's go home. You know, let's go eat some fried chicken and... And go home and do something different, okay? Watch TV and get it, catch up on our sleep. If it is true, I want to live. I want to live this way. It's the most glorious truth. You couldn't make up a better truth than what God has given us in His Word. I'm saying that because we're doing our study on the cross, and Paul preached Christ and the resurrection, and and so he's preaching the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our whole series has been on the cross, specifically the cross in the life of the Christian, in the life of the believer. How does, what does it matter to me? Yes, I know He died on the cross. Thank You, Lord, for dying on my cross. That's how I'm saved. But it, He tells us, if any man will come after me, that's a disciple. That's a follower of the Lord. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All three go together, but the denying the self, and I would say dying to ourselves, has to do with daily coming and laying down our life at the foot of, of the Lord. Romans 12 says we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. These bodies, this life that we have on this earth as a living sacrifice to God. 
there was uh, a missionary, an old, a pioneer missionary. He was recounting his, he had retired late, late in life and, and pioneered a new work. And I don't know what country he was in, but it was in a foreign land. And he was recounting back the days when they started the work. And with a group of the, the missionaries and the organization that went to pioneer this mission with a good heart and a good intent, they had two, uh, they actually voted, they discussed and voted, are we going to go there and preach Christ in the cross right off the bat? The men must repent and give their lives to the Lord. Or we, we have the money, we can build schools in this impoverished area, educate that those children to come up, educate them with a Christian education, and hopefully they will in turn reach their people for the Lord. They voted on it and they chose the second. We're going to build Christian, we're going to build schools. We're going to educate the uneducated in this impoverished country and hope that they will lead their people to the Lord. And I'm going to give you a quote from this old missionary late after he had retired looking back. He said, I know today too late that we failed. And as a result, the gospel has been bound in that land. The other plan would have brought persecution, preaching the cross right off the bat to a people that may have been hostile towards the Lord and certainly a devil that's hostile to the Lord. The other plan would have brought persecution, perhaps even bloodshed, but that would have cleared the air and the gospel would now have been free. And so tonight and probably next Wednesday, we're going to talk about the cross and gospel methods. Okay, people are big on methods. People in churches are big on methods, not against every method, but a method of man is still going to be a method of man. A method of man never saved anyone. And so we're going to talk about the fact that the cross has to be central to our message. We see that all in the New Testament. There's no arguing that point. It says they went everywhere and preached the resurrection. That's what it says in early chapters in the book of Acts. That all of them, when they were scattered abroad, they preached Christ. They preached the resurrection. We just read about Paul. Not, not only does the cross have to be central to our message, the gospel message, it has to be central to our methods, if you want to call it that. We can't diverge from that and say, basically, uh, and I know that you've heard this, that... Uh, you know, even that Bible study today, okay, at Parkview, you, you'll, hear, you'll hear the thoughts, and it's, it's a battle going on. I believe it's a battle between the Holy Ghost and the truth and a battle of human wisdom. Last, the week before last, Alberto preached, and we listened to his message while we were out of town that morning and it was a wonderful message and he talked about the wisdom basically the wisdom of man but all of it's really foolishness it's just the lord that's the only real wisdom and god in his wisdom saw fit to have the plan and the power of salvation come through the gospel that is his way that is his means by which people are saved 
to the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thought is in so many circles today that, you know, that we believe the, the gospel and everything, but you can't reach people like that today. We believe that, you know, they'll say, and they're well intended a lot of times, but you can't really reach people that way today. In the 21st century, you've got to do this or that. You've got to try a new thing. You need to join a motorcycle biker club. You need to to do this. You need to do that. And you need to be really dark in here. And we need to have candles. And we need to return to the old past of the church fathers. And we need to try this new thing. It's always uh, something other than just the basic gospel. Now, I don't know how many people are going to get saved under my ministry or your ministry or you're preaching the gospel. But like I told those boys, if they're going to be saved, this is how they're going to be saved. Otherwise, they might join a church, join a movement, join a philosophy, uh, become your friend, become your follower, become your buddy. But they're not going to heaven. This is how we get to heaven. This is how we know the Savior. This is how we know God. And so if it's outdated or antiquated in people's minds, that again, to me, is just an attack of the enemy. The Lord doesn't say it's outdated and antiquated. He said it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's what he said. I'm going to go with God on that. Okay? I was saved by the gospel. I was in a church between the summer before my senior year and the pastor preached a gospel message. And the pastor said at his altar call, which you just don't hear a whole lot anymore. If you died right now, do you know you'd know do you know you'd go to heaven? It seemed to me like there was, you know, six hundred people in the church. I don't know how many were there. And I'm thinking, do I know I'd go to heaven? Think so, hope so, I'm a good kid, I keep, you know, respectful to my parents, I make good grades. Uh, but do I know I'd go to heaven? No, I don't know that. Then he proceeds to say if you you can know. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Come, he says, come up here and pray and give your life to, to Christ. Believe the gospel. And he assures us that we're going to heaven. Well, I thought all 600 people were going to go to the front. This is the best news I ever heard. I'm surprised that you know, nobody stood up. It was just me and Dee's aunt was sitting with me at the time. We weren't, we weren't married at that time for sure. But uh, she says, you want me to go with you? I said, yes, ma'am. And we walked forward and I prayed and I gave my life to the Lord. That's, that's still the way people are saved. If the Lord tarries 50 years from now, that's still how people will be saved. I don't need a new method, okay? I don't need a new method. There are styles of change in clothing or church decor and things like this. But the prayer meeting, okay, the things that are just essential to Christ and to the church... What do we read in Acts chapter 2? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and in prayers and fellowship. And the Lord added to the church. Who added? The Lord added to the church daily such as uh, should be saved. And can I tell you that the cross has to be not only for, foremost in our preaching, it has to be in our methods. methods in the sense that everything must uh, be based upon this gospel and the death of of Christ and why he had to die because we're sinners and we need a savior. So this is pre the preaching of the cross. This missionary later was standing over um, the grave at a funeral service of, a, of another missionary who had been very faithful to God in his life. 
and he was speaking at the funeral and he said of all the plans ensuring success the most certain is Christ's own plan becoming a grain of wheat and falling into the ground and dying that's the most certain plan you want a plan that works this is it you know why we don't see people getting saved by the droves is because there are very few people that are willing to die that's what this whole series has been about let the Lord get a hold of a man to where that man is dead and only Christ lives through him. And Lord could use us to turn the world upside down, our country upside down, our city upside down, like he used the Apostle Paul. We should pray like never before. And I'm quoting from this missionary. Lord, give it to us to be so identified with the great grain of wheat, the Lord, that in our very method of presenting Christ, as well as in our message about Christ, we shall set him forth crucified before the people's eyes. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Galatians 3.1. Now, several months ago, in this same series, we, we read this scripture and talked about it. I'm just going to touch on it quickly. Galatians 3, verse 1. Paul's rebuking the Galatian church here, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes, before their eyes, Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He was rebuking them. They had given their lives to the Lord by believing the gospel, and now they departed into a, a, a blend of Judaism and that was not the gospel at all. But he's saying Christ, when we first came, was evidently set forth before you. How? Through Paul, through those that went with him, whether that was Silas or Barnabas at the time. Christ was set forth. Okay? Christ was set forth. And we, Paul said we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We talk a lot about Paul, but Paul talked a lot about the Lord. Okay? We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. An old Scottish theologian said, no man can bear witness to Christ and to himself at the same time. Amen to that. No man can bear witness to Christ and to himself at the same time. So you think about it, when the, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Lord had commanded His followers, about 120 that gathered in that upper room, he commanded them to tarry ye in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's the way we witness witness of Christ, unto Christ, before men. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be a life that's crucified to where we're not making much about ourselves. We can go around and say how humble we are and we're really eaten up with pride. God has to do it. And when somebody's really humble, that means they're really dead and crucified with Christ and only one noticed is the Lord. Only one remembered really is the Lord. I'm not saying we don't remember people and ministers. I'm simply saying that 
that, that we're bearing witness to Christ and we can't bear witness to Christ into ourselves or our own ministry or something like that at the same time. No man ought to try to give the impression that Christ is mighty to save, but I'm really clever to bring the gospel in just the perfect way. To have the right music, the right decor, the right lighting, the right uh, lingo when I talk. Um, that's Our supreme task has to be to bring people to, to a decision about Christ. And, and so much of our preaching today is doesn't bring people to a conclusion. I'm talking about our own witnesses. And I know you're not all preachers, but we have to bring people to a surrender to the Lord to bring them to where there's no escape. I've got to choose. I've got to choose Christ or, or reject Christ. I've got to choose life or death. I've got to choose heaven or hell. And there's not that type as a whole of preaching in our nation today, and I don't know about in the world, but so much of the preaching is just uh, a feel-good preaching or how you feel about God and just want to open up some thoughts and have discussions and facilitate uh, these type of things. I saw that a lot with some of the chaplains in the prisons. They, there was a point where they didn't want me and the guys that were, were going in to, to teach regularly, to, to really teach the gospel, the word of God. They wanted us to facilitate, to just sit there and keep, keep discussions going and nobody's right or nobody's wrong and just keep people happy. And through this, people are going to discover the Lord. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that believe is the power of God. And so we have to bring people right to this crucified Lord. Christ was set before the, before the Galatians, evidently crucified. You killed him. That's what was preached by the early church, right? You took the Son of God and with wicked hands you slew him. But God raised him from the dead. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent ye and believe the gospel and you shall be saved. It was very focused. It was very uh, on target. It was very much on track. And they didn't use different methods the next year or the next week or something like that. And when they were scattered abroad under the persecution of the Roman Empire and at the hands of the Jews, they, they still preached Christ and the resurrection. That's God's method. It's His message and His method. Okay? And so we need to remember that. And <clears throat> we can't give people this place they may look for it, but we can't in our preaching, in our ministry, in our witnessing, give people the place of this sort of neutrality. You know what I mean? Where they can just find a comfortable place without making a decision, yea or nay, about the Lord. They may look for that place. And they may find it, but don't let them find it as a result of your preaching to them. And your preaching to them witnessing to them, sharing Christ with them, set him forth, crucified and risen. He died for our sins. He died for your sins. He rose again in power. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And you have a choice to make because God is gracious enough to give you a choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. We need to bring people to that place. And so much of the preaching in the world, and 
I pray that I'm not that way. I don't think I'm that way, but so much of the preaching is uh, food for thought kind of thing. Well, just that's interesting. I'll mull that over a little bit. And it needs to be brought to a place of a decision. The captain of our salvation, before he said, go ye into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature, Right before he said that, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. This gospel is demonstrating the power of the gospel, even right there. All power is given unto me. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Go preach this gospel. He has empowered the gospel. Amen. He has empowered it. He's empowered it through those that know him that he's saved. And that's the message in our method. Amen. And so the gospel may seem to have lost its power, but it has not. As an ambassador of the Lord, which we are, we need to know the authority. Preach five Sundays uh, on this. Just concluded it last Sunday on the, the priesthood of the believer. The last two sermons were on our authority in the Lord. But our gospel, for the most part, it's not a blanket condemnation. I want to be careful to say that. But our gospel has ceased to grip men's souls because, because we use, uh, we preach it in a compromising manner. We preach it in a way that's, like I said, if this works for you, if you feel good about it, kind of thing to make people comfortable and we don't want to offend anybody. The Holy Ghost cannot anoint anyone except those that are utterly uncompromising. We need to think about that. Those 120 in the upper room that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Lord, they were uncompromising. I'm not, am I saying they're sinless or that they were perfect? Or the, you know, no, no, I'm not saying that. But the Lord's command, the last thing He left them with was you tarry in Jerusalem until... He didn't say it'll be 10 days, 12 days, one day, one hour, five hours, a month and a half. He says, you tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with this power from on high. And then you're going to be the witnesses unto me. And they tarried in Jerusalem. To me, that's uncompromising. Their captain and their Lord gave them a commandment for a blessing that was coming to their lives. The Holy Ghost and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power is a blessing. And... They were commanded to wait by their Lord and Savior, and they were uncompromising in that. They waited. They waited until. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. They were all still there. Amen? And the Holy Ghost came as a mighty rushing wind and fell upon them all. But that's a wonderful thought. The Holy Ghost, it doesn't mean God, uh, that people aren't, Saved that may have compromise in their life. The, the Corinthians had compromise, gross sin and immorality. Compromise is putting it lightly. Worldliness, carnality. Yet they were still saved. They needed to repent of their sin and their worldliness and their carnality. But the Holy Ghost is not going to, going to anoint my compromise. If I'm compromising the messages I'm preaching in this pulpit or to a stranger in Winn-Dixie or whatever... He's not going to anoint that. His gospel is already anointed. Amen? His gospel is already anointed. The whole message, Christ is already anointed. And He's anointed us and empowered us 
to preach this gospel that has the power to save because he's the savior behind it. We want the anointing of the Lord. We want a fresh new anointing on our music team. We want a fresh new anointing on preaching, the ministry, the Bible study at Parkview, the ladies' prayer. It's going to come upon the uncompromising. Not perfect, but what God has showed us, I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to obey that. When I sin, I'm going to ask Him to forgive me. But my resolve and my commitment is going to be uncompromising. I resolve to preach this message and no other. What if that becomes illegal very soon to preach this message to the exclusion of all other messages and gods and religions and philosophies and thoughts? What will we do then? Well, if we walk with the Lord today, He'll give us the strength for tomorrow to do that. Amen? But I'm not going to change my message or my method because this is the one that we're called to. This is the one that works. This is the one I'm responsible to. And the one I'm responsible to, to is the Lord. There was a, a retired uh, military officer who said, I don't want people who come to me under my command under, with certain reservations. In battle, you want soldiers who fear nothing. They couldn't come and say, I'm going I'm to try this. I'm going to see what it's like to be a soldier, you know, under this command. Come to me and be under my command. I need you in the heat of the battle to be obedient. I need you to be a soldier. I'm not, I don't need you to be double-minded and have some thoughts and reservations and second thoughts about this whole thing. Same as a soldier of Christ, okay? Uncompromising. We want the anointing. We want the power. We should. God wants it for us. Then we need to be uncompromising. He'll, make, he'll sanctify us. He'll make us perfect, okay? Be perfect as your Father is perfect. He'll do that. But we can be uncompromising. Amen. Paul gave two, uh, he gave more than two, but two main incentives that motivated him. Why do you preach the gospel the way you do? Why do you lay down your life and get stoned here and shipwrecked here and beat there and put up in prison here? Why do you keep doing it from place to place? And I want us to turn and read this in 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5.11 Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see that? We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest to your consciences. Just the first part of that. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What is that? That's a godly, holy, healthy fear. He is a God of judgment. When the Holy Ghost comes, He will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There's a judgment to come. This is, I believe, what he's speaking of. He says there, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know his method and we know his message was the gospel. But what motivated him here, uh, the first thing he mentions here is knowing the terror of the Lord. Here's a saved man who knows the terror of the Lord. That's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? We need to fear the Lord with a holy, healthy, reverent, reverential fear of God. He is a great and terrible God. He's holy. He's the God of all judgment and power and, and justice. He's also the God of all love and mercy and kindness. 
We can appreciate His mercy when we understand His power and might and, and awesomeness, if that's a word. Let's look down now at verse uh, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Just the first part of that. For the love of Christ constrains us, or kind of hems us in, or, or compels us, or, or motivates us to preach this gospel. The fear of the Lord and a love. The terror, as this author put it, and a tenderness. Terror and a tenderness and a tender compassion towards men. But that is the order, isn't it? That's the biblical order. That's the divine order. We are told in the, in the word of God that um, when men don't fear the Lord, they're not going to come to God. They're not. You can preach love, love, love all day long. Should we preach the love of God? Absolutely. God so loved the world. He gave. Amen. While we were yet sinners, God committed his love towards us and that Christ died for us. In his great love wherewith he loved us while we were sinners, Ephesians says. We need to preach the love of God. There has to be a fear of the Lord. If people don't have any fear of God, they're not going to have some urgency to make some decision for Christ. It's just something they can think about later. If they don't see the need, the great need, and that they're literally hanging because only by God's mercy, they're only hanging over hell and not in hell because God has been merciful another day, another hour, another minute, another second. That's the only reason. They need to know that. There needs to be a holy, healthy fear, okay, that, that brings men to the Lord. One man says, our, our preaching is too lovely. It merely scratches the surface of this unafraid generation. I agree with that. For the most part, I know there's exceptions and God is still genuinely saving people. Praise God for that. But this generation we're in, that the words that can come out of their mouth publicly or in a song or in a movie or in a TV show or in a campaign speech or whatever. Young people, there's no fear of God. It's an unafraid generation. It has to do with the hardened hearts. It has to do with seared consciousness. It has to do with rebellion against God. It has to do with, uh, with the whole world lying in the brace of the wicked one. And no knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And when people can start having a holy, healthy fear of God, so much other wisdom is going to come to them. They're going to start taking account of their own life. They're going to start being ashamed in a good way of their own sin. You understand what I'm saying? They're going to start saying, oh, what must I do to be saved? Look at this mess I'm in. Look at this horrible state I'm in. Their eyes have to be open. The Lord can do it. He's going to do it through the preaching of the cross. A holy, healthy fear. Noah, it says, was by faith was moved with fear and prepared the ark to the saving of his soul and his household. Noah being moved with fear. Well, that's Old Testament. That's, no, that's, that's a human being and is God's dealing with that human being and providing salvation for him at that time. God made a way of escape. <clears throat> 
We need to seek, when we're seeking to win souls, we need to be instructed by the Word of God, not by the influence of what's popular in the church world. People are, are trying so hard to take what's successful in a business model in the world and, trans, and bring that into the church. If our church would just do it like IBM does it or whatever, how they grew it, um, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says, again, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. It's the power of the Lord. It's the favor of God that we're preaching His word, that we're doing what we're supposed to do privately and publicly before we ever tell the first person about the gospel. We've been with God. We've been before the Lord. And He's searching our hearts and working in us and making us more like Jesus. He gives us the word to preach. We don't invent it. We don't invent the methods or the message. Amen. When the Bible says in Ephesians 4, and we're going to be closing here in a moment, but when it says in Ephesians 4.15 about speaking the truth in love, right? We all know that passage. It's to the church that we may grow up. We wouldn't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But we come to a full maturity in Christ. Speaking the truth in love. The first instruction there is not, there's a divine order, Okay. Here as well. It doesn't say speak with lovely speech. Speak in a lovely manner. It says, first of all, our duty is to speak the truth. Number one, speak the truth. Well, we've all heard people that spoke the truth, but it wasn't in love. It was rigid. It was, it was harsh. It was unmerciful. It offered no hope. We're to speak the truth, number one, and if somebody would say how, the answer would be in love. We just kind of run together some, speak the truth in love. But our first commandment is not to speak in a loving manner. Our first commandment is to speak the truth. How do I speak the truth? You speak it in love. And if, my, if I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind, He will give us a love for our neighbor as ourselves. He will love our enemies through us. He will love people through us and souls through us. Amen. And we'll speak the truth in love. This, this author says, let us not offend our God for supposed love for our neighbors. I think there's a whole lot of that going on. People are wanting to please people. Well, I love them and I don't want to offend them. So in the process, we're offending our God. God's not going to anoint that. God's not going to bless that. It may be very successful and get very big and popular and have all kinds of books on the bookshelves and in the Christian bookstores. But God's not going to bless that. There's one I shouldn't offend. And if I'm not offending God, then He will live through me and love through me and people won't be offended. If they're offended at the Gospel, then they're offended at the Gospel. I make apologies for that. If they're offended in the messenger, then I have to repent of that. In other words, if I'm a jerk, like I always say, if I'm just a jerk and they reject Christ because I'm a jerk, they're not really rejecting the Lord. They're rejecting what they think Christianity is. If you're one, I don't want to be one. Okay? But if we're speaking the truth in love, we don't want to offend God. If people are offended because of your holiness. If people are offended because of your 
adherence to this truth and you won't bend on that and say, well, Muhammad was a good prophet too. And other religions have of the world have a lot of good things to offer as well. And there are a lot of divine truths in other religions and, and biblical, uh, their religious books as well. If people are offended when you take a stand against that, then so be it. So be it. That's not better that than to offend the one who loves us and died for us and saved us and called us and commissioned us. Amen? It was, I'm going to be bringing this to a close, but there was a mixture and it was a Holy Ghost, only one that can really do it, of this terrible fear of God uncompromising preaching of the truth and holiness and a fear and a reverence of Almighty God and a tenderness at the same time. Who but God could do that? Jesus didn't compromise one iota. All of the law was fulfilled, right? He fulfilled all the righteousness of the law. He didn't compromise not one second. Not in one choice, not in one word, not in one action. He, do, he did always the things that he saw his father doing. I do always the things that please him. I say only the things that I hear my father saying. And yet there was no one ever more compassionate and tender to sinners. Woman, where are thine accusers? Is no man here to accuse you? No man, Lord. Neither do I commend you, condemn you. Go and sin no more. Nobody more compassionate and tender and merciful to sinners and at the same time uncompromising to, to the will of the Father. That's the blend. That's the Holy Ghost blend. That's our ministry. If you want it to be effective, and we do, if you want it to be powerful, if you want to really reach people, everybody's not going to be reached. They're going to be reached with the gospel even if they don't believe it. We need to reach them with the truth. Does that make sense? They need to at some point in their life have heard the truth and know it. And know it's different than all the, quote, other truths that they hear out there. We need to have that holy, reverent fear and uncompromising walk before the Lord. Amen. That, that God can anoint. That God can use. The Bible says, and we know the Scripture will. You don't have to turn there. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In the, in the New American Standard, that reads... He hasn't given us the spirit of timidity, but a power and of love and of discipline. Power to speak the truth without fear. Love that constrains us to preach despite what, whatever is being faced. Discipline that can stand up against all of the can stand up against all the opposition and persecution and and enemy, the enemy that's going to face us for preaching the gospel. Amen. Power, love, and discipline or a sound mind. I want to close with this thought. The, there's an invincibility to a person like that or to a church like that, to an army like that, that, that has the power to speak the truth without fear, the love that constrains, that tenderness and compassion, and the discipline to stand up against whatever may come whatever opposition they may face. There, there, you can't touch them. You can kill the body. 
but the blood of the martyrs was the seed that grew the church. It was the blood of the martyrs that caused the church to grow. You understand what I'm saying? You're not really, there's no weapon formed against us that's going to prosper when we walk like that. But if we just search for the latest worldly wisdom and methods of man, can't reach people in that old-fashioned way anymore. God can. In fact, that's the only way, and that's the way He's chosen to, to reach men, to reach people. I want to close with this. Before we can be that, before we can be like this, this early church, for example, the Bible says, I want to just read a quote from uh, Dr. A.J. Gordon. He says, The help of the world, the patronage, patronage of its rulers, the loan of its resources, the use of its methods, the early church utterly refused. They were, they were looking for a grant from the Roman government to set up a big uh, place where they could feed and clothe people from and help build houses and find clean water for the, the people. They weren't looking for a grant, okay? They weren't looking for the, for the Roman government to come alongside and help, him, help them. It says, lest by employing these, they might compromise their king. An invading army, and that's what he's calling the early church, from an invisible base and placing more confidence in the leadership of an unseen commander than in all the imperial help that might be offered them. That was what so bewildered the people of their day. And that's, by the way, is why the church was so effective. It's, if it's going to be effective, it's going to be effective in an uncompromised fashion and form. It's going to be, it's going to be God's way. Aren't you glad you don't have to reinvent the wheel? That you don't have to come up with it again? That pressure is taken off of me as a pastor. That pressure is taken off of you as a soul winner and an ambassador for Christ. Preach the gospel. Can you get into conversations about people's lives and marital problems and sicknesses in their family and financial struggles? Absolutely. And have compassion. And what God leads you to do in the midst of that, be obedient to do it. Okay? But if they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved by hearing this and believing the gospel. Amen? Y'all stand with me. We all know the passage. Well, these coming up here, but I'll just quote it because we know it so well. Before any of us can step out and live this way and be this way, there's going to have to be some soul searching. I know God's dealing with some people in our church. That's a good thing, by the way. God is dealing with some hearts. And I know He's dealing with my heart right now. And wherever we think we are with the Lord, there's deeper. We can go deeper. We can be more surrendered. We can more, be more effective. We can love the Lord more. We can be more uh, Christ-like. There's so much more. And I'm glad for that. But the Bible says in Psalm 139, 23 and 4, Search me, O God, David says, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And that's what we need before we're stepping out. So just for a moment here tonight, these altars are open. And I just encourage you to come. Take a few minutes. Let God search your heart. And it may not all be finished tonight. But even as you go from here and then you wake up tomorrow or when you go to bed tonight, 
let it be a theme in your heart and in your prayers before the Lord. Search me, Lord. Show me. Uh, I want to be that, like that early church. I want to be in, walk in that power. I want to have that effectiveness for the Lord in my day. I'm a priest, like we studied, king and priest unto God, and there's an authority, but he's not going to anoint the compromise or the compromiser. He's going to anoint that which is set apart unto him. Amen.